Welcome to the Electric Wire podcast. I am Kristen Jilks, the Executive Director of the Customers First Coalition. I am your host for this podcast. We are bringing you an energy innovation series. This is a series of six podcasts dedicated to exploring new technologies in the energy industry. I would like to thank the members of the Customers First Coalition for sponsoring our podcast. The members are the Citizens Utility Board of Wisconsin, Dairyland Power Cooperative, the IBEW 2150, Madison Gas and Electric, the Municipal Electric Utilities of Wisconsin, Renew Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Electric Cooperative Association, and WPPI Energy. Today, we are bringing you a podcast where we explore issues related to energy storage. We take a look at storage issues from a customer perspective. We are delighted to have Tom Content of the Citizens Utility Board joining us for the first interview of this podcast. I thought he had some really nice insights to share regarding how customers can really benefit with increased adoption of energy storage and how their organization will look at utility proposals going forward. Our second interview is with Bob McKee of ATC, American Transmission Company. Bob is their Strategic Initiatives Director and this is a really fun interview. Uh, Bob is a self-proclaimed energy geek. And so we discuss at length their storage as transmission only asset project near Wapaka, Wisconsin. This is a pilot project for them. It's the first of its kind in Wisconsin. And I think you'll learn a lot from this episode, including a new acronym. With that, I am just gonna give you a couple of links to follow up on that we discuss in this podcast. We talk about the new MWORK Great Plains Institute report. You can find a link to that report in the show notes or go to mwork.org forward slash W-E-D-T-I hyphen report. I also wanted to mention that Customers First Coalition hosted a power breakfast uh, Game Changers Power Breakfast in 2019, where we had an excellent presentation on energy storage from Troy Miller of GE Power. And you can still find his presentation and the following panel discussion archived on the Wisconsin Eye website. That is at wisi.org. Search for Customers First, Game Changers Breakfast. And Troy's presentation begins around the 57-minute mark. You'll also find a link in the show notes that takes you directly to that presentation. So if you're looking for more on energy storage after you've listened to this podcast, you can always go there for more follow-up. With that, I will turn you over to our interviews, first with Tom Content and then with Bob McKee. Thanks for listening. I am joined today by Tom Content, who is the Executive Director of the Citizens Utility Board. Tom is actually a member of the Customers First Coalition Board of Directors. He is serving in the role as our Secretary Treasurer right now. Thank you, Tom, so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on the, on the pod. Yay! It's good to be here. <laughs> We're excited to have you. So can you tell us a little bit more about CUB, the Citizens Utility Board, and what your role is there? Sure. So CUB is the Citizens Utility Board, and we are the consumer advocate for the residential and small business customers. 
of all the utilities in Wisconsin that are regulated by the Public Service Commission. So that's electric, natural gas, and water for that matter. We focus primarily on electric and natural gas. And CUB has been around for uh, 40 years, just over 40 years. It was created by the legislature. Um, the, concern, they wanted, the legislature wanted to make sure there was a level playing field between sort of the utilities and the big businesses that advocate and are, are always at the PSC uh, trying to get their points of view across versus the, and to make sure there was a, a solid customer voice at the Public Service Commission. So we do regulatory work focused mainly on rate cases, but also on construction cases for new power plants or power lines. How long have you been at Cub now? I've been at Cub just over three years. Just over three years. And before that, you worked at the Journal Sentinel covering energy issues, right? That's right. So I covered, uh, I was a reporter covering energy and utilities, and it kind of morphed into covering sustainable business as well um, as, while I was there. And uh, so spent a lot of time getting to know the industry and getting to know the players and, and be, uh, was interested, uh, was glad to make the transition from kind of observing to kind of getting more involved as a, an advocate for the customers. Right. So tell us more about this sustainable business piece um, that you covered at the Journal Sentinel. What were some of the companies and how do they relate to our energy storage discussion today? Well, it's, it's, it, uh, in some ways I fell into it. In some ways we just created it out of thin air, but I think it, we were, you're seeing this, the trend towards sustainable business, you know, back in the nineties, there were, Folk, you know, BP was talking about beyond petroleum, and GE was talking about eco imagination and things like that. Um, but what we saw at the at the Journal Sentinel was that there was a role, a growing, emerging area in Wisconsin for this. Um, and part it was through Johnson Controls and some of the businesses that they have that were based, actually based here, which is there they have both the. Uh, energy efficiency business for buildings as well as which does controls as well as chillers and different things but a lot of electronics uh, they were the inventor of the room thermostat back in the 1800s uh, Warren Johnson was um, and then also they have an automotive battery business and so as you look at the trends uh, where what we're seeing now today you see this whole uh, things merging into into the the the, elect, the the their technology on the battery side that they have through vehicles is transitioning into vehicles for elect or batteries for electric vehicles, and then on the energy side, there's more the energy grid is getting more distributed all the time, and so and so you you see this 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 uh, convergence, and it's been fascinating to watch. Um, it was fascinating to, to cover, just because. It seems like the energy world is changing more in the last few years than it had in, say, a hundred before the hundred years before that. That is very true. And as we're talking about sort of this energy transition, I know there was a group um, that was formed about a year ago by both MWORK and the Great Plains Institute, um, and the group came together to. Uh, recommend some initiatives. Um, the set of, of recommendations is called the Wisconsin Energy Distribution Technology and Innovation Report. This report detailed some policies that Wisconsin could put in place to help speed up this clean energy transition. And you served on the group that put together these recommendations. So since I've got you here, 
and we're talking about energy storage, what what's in this report as it relates to storage, some high level um, things relating to storage? Yeah, sure. Um, so overall, the report has a lot of different aspects. And one of the things that we liked about the, the, the this collaborative is that you're able to talk uh, talk in detail about the demand side of life with the energy system because we've spent so much of our time thinking about su the supply side of life with, with building, what, what are we going to do? We're going from this macro to the micro from the central state power plant, central station power plants to a more distributed energy future. Um, and, and along that, there, this report has a lot of interesting recommendations that, that really boost energy efficiency and, and the customer side of things, the customer side. And part of the customer side is energy storage. And so, one, so a couple of things that are going on, there are some federal rules that are being developed um, on how, how storage is regulated and managed, and, and that's being dealt with um, by FERC at the, in Washington, and then MISO, which is the grid operator for the mid-central mid United States, is working on it as well. And so the report actually advocates for Wisconsin stakeholders and utilities to be more involved at the MISO level in shaping how these rules are formed. And then back here in Wisconsin, um, we have rules for connecting, for if I want to put solar panels on, on my house or, or if you wanted to put it on your house, there are rules that are in place on how you connect that. Um, PSC set, set up rules years ago on that. Um, and those rules would now need to be updated to accommodate storage because there's just some different things. It's it's not a generation source per, storage isn't a generation sto source per, per se, but but it, it it ends up acting as one as we're seeing and um, or helping act as one and helping keep the lights on in, in places like Australia where they've had power power supply challenges and even some of the recent things in California where they they have had to have blackouts. You've seen a role for storage there through some new large storage projects that have just come online that, to help mitigate that. We're sort of just talking about this, but what are some of the benefits of storage for customers? Yeah, and it's, the benefits of storage are, are, I mean, it's always been so fascinating because, because the frustrating thing about renewable energy is that it, it gets dark at night and the solar, solar panels stop, stop running and same thing with wind power when it stops being windy. So if it's it's almost like it's it's almost as if it's this this has a little bit of magic to it that it you can that, that just the, the simple battery the simple batteries that are in our phones and our computers and are and now in our cars can can be um, put together into giant blocks that actually can keep us go keep things going so it's it's all about resilience I think and it's all about um, it's innovation and resilience and it's it's extending the benefits of clean energy. Obviously, there's a cost. It, the economies of scale haven't been there uh, for for it to be deployed widely yet. But what's encouraging is that if you see those the trend line on solar, um, the prices have come down 90% over the last eight years at least. And the same trend lines are are visible if you look at the price for lithium-ion batteries. And so that's what's enabling it to emerge so much so that you're seeing large projects deployed on the grid side, and then you have smaller projects available for homes and, and, and businesses. Do you expect to see utility scale projects that combine renewable energy and storage? And how would CUB evaluate proposals like that? 
Yeah, we've had we've had there's there's been one one or two of the solar projects that that have already been are making their way through the PSC have a storage component, but the storage component was kind of a later phase, and we we have to balance you know the cost the cost for customers because unfortunately we 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 want to make sure our rates are, are we want to get our rates to be even more affordable than they are um our rates are as just straight electric rates are higher than the midwest average and higher than the national average and so that's why for just to, especially at the, given the economic situation we're in we're pay, keeping a focus on affordability is important but the fact is we know we're, we're we think storage and the the price trends are such that it can be and will be competitive. Competitive, uh, it's just a question of timing. And what's what's interesting for Wisconsin, just going back to the the reason MWork is so involved, um, and the Midwest Energy Research Consortium is there is a Wisconsin play here um, as far as different companies. And I mentioned Johnson Controls, and they ended up selling that business, but they still have folks in in Wisconsin working now for Con Ed and out of New York on a battery storage business. And then Generac, which was is known for, you know, backup, you know, power generation, made a big storage acquisition last year and they're they're coming out with a home product just to go up against Tesla's power wall. So you see this um, you see this this emerging field and there's a Wisconsin Wisconsin play for that. And the only then the thing, the other way that customers can benefit, um, you're seeing this if you aggregate a whole bunch of storage at once. Um, and the and the utility can kind of call on those batteries, even if they're in people's homes, even though they're, if they're that small. If you have enough of them, it can make a difference on those hot summer days, and and that's 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 what's cru- crucial for keeping re- the electric grid, re- grid reliable. But it's also crucial for keeping costs down because when we build our utility system, it's based on how much power is being consumed at the peak, which is the hottest summer days. And so if, if utilities could, if there were 300 homes or 500 homes that each had a power wall or some equivalent or a Generac, a version of uh, its storage system or, or whichever technology, and the utility can call on those to, right, right when the demand is peaking, that helps um, mean we have to build, build fewer power plants and it helps keep Anything that helps reduce system costs reduces costs for everybody in the long run. Right. So how does storage fit in with some of the other trends you're seeing, um, like with energy efficiency and peak shaving, et cetera? Yeah, no, I think it's really it's really an interesting time because you're seeing this whole move where we're, we're not just as concerned about, about how much electricity is being used, but when it's being used. And so you're seeing programs that like MG&E and Excel Energy are deploying where they manage the chargers, just like I was talking about with potentially managing the home battery systems. They're managing the electric vehicle charges. And so you're seeing this whole move toward a more distributed grid, um, but it's also, um, a, it's also a more, what we like at Cub is the fact that for our, our small business members or for homeowners or, or even renters, we hope, um, through landlords, we hope that there can be a way to have it be more uh, customer focused. So in other words, it's, it's not just the quality, quality of the power and the cost of the power, but it, is it the power that I want to develop here? And so it's fascinating from the customer perspective and it's interesting from a Wisconsin perspective too, because you're seeing this emergence of microgrids, and which is a term that n- not many people were using 
20 years ago, but it turns out that uh, a professor, Lasseter, at, at UW was kind of the, the father of the, the, the term microgrid, and now, now you hear that term more and more, and, and it's, it's part of this whole, whole move toward res both resilience, reliability, and innovation. It's a, it's a neat combination. As we see um, extreme weather events, storms, they just had the derecho event in Iowa, Yes, and other storms out east that are causing prolonged power outages. What is the role of storage and microgrids that you see going forward? Does that create some complications for you as you're evaluating utility proposals, or how are you looking at that through the customer lens? I think that's where you're looking at. For instance, um, there's there there's a project where a utility has to balance, you know. What kind of distribution line upgrade do I need to to for a remote area, and does a microgrid make sense make sense for that? And that's something that uh, one of our utilities, Alliant, just just went is moving forward with a project for something that serves a DNR relatively remote DNR building that would have required a pretty lengthy distribution upgrade, and they ended up going with a a combination of a, a mini microgrid slash battery uh, solution for that, and so that's. That's something that, that that you take into account, and then when you mentioned the the impact of storms and everything, um, Tesla had built a giant, a pretty big system, one of the big, what well, was at the time the biggest in the world in Australia, um, to in during which is having extreme heat and reliability challenges, um, and that helped keep the lights on there, and recently was used was called on when a big storms felled a big power line, a transmission line that linked it from basically the equivalent of one state to another when I don't know if they call them provinces or territories there. Um, but um, they called on that, that hundred megawatt storage facility to help keep the lights on. So it's, it's, you're seeing a, a bigger and bigger role for it almost every year. Are there other issues relating to storage that you wanted to discuss? I think the main thing is just to, to, to watch this space and to keep your eyes on it because it, it's changing quickly. It's one of the exciting parts of the energy industry right now, but it's also one of the things that's, it's, it's pretty, it could be pretty transformative. It'll be interesting to see, you know, as the utilities come up with their, these, uh, have developed these carbon reduction pledges to, re to reduce or eliminate their carbon footprint. And as uh, the state government leadership is, is, is announced moves to that direction, it'll be interesting to see how much storage is called on as kind of to help supplement all the renewable energy that's being proposed, um, because that's, that's going to be the challenge is, you know, renewable energy is intermittent, but, but more and more we're seeing, and that, that was always a, a drawback, but the more, more and more states are relying more and more on on renewable energy um, and the challenges providing that that extra layer of security and, and, and energy security and reliability and certainly we Wisconsin has never ha hasn't had supply problems in a long time um, but the challenge is if, if we're going to make this transition um, we're, I, for, frankly I'm rooting for the economics of storage to really be a to, to really keep keep moving in a favorable direction for us thank you so Tom if you had all the power in the energy industry <laughs> for the day, what would you do? Wow. Um, so if I had all the power, um, my, my focus and Cubs focus this year has been a lot about the pandemic and the economic fallout and the, the impact on the low income 
folks. And so right now, if I had the power today, it would be finding innovative ways to provide rate relief and, and energy assistance to keep people in their homes and apartments and also find a way to boost the energy efficiency of those buildings going forward. Um, but I think what we need now is innovation. And if I could, if I could just snap a finger and not have anybody shut off uh, during the pandemic, but also have them have us structure a way that low-income customers aren't paying too much, and also down the road, all customers aren't paying too much. It's a big balancing act. If I could solve that problem single-handedly, that would be uh, that would be a lot of power. Keep working on it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tom, for joining us. I really appreciated having you here. No, it's a great opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Bob McKee from ATC for joining us today. Bob, tell us more about ATC and your role at ATC. Well, first of all, Kristen, thank you so much for inviting uh, American Transmission Company, ATC, and myself uh, to chat about uh, uh, storage and transmission and uh, specifically our Wapaka area storage project. Um, you know, uh, from our perspective, and we'll get more into this, uh, this is a technology, you know, as these technologies emerge, uh, we want to be able to uh, add them to our toolbox, if you will, to be able to provide uh, reliable and economic uh, transmission service. So ATC, uh, we began operations in 2001. Uh, we are the nation's first multi-state transmission utility. Um, we're a founding member or founding transmission owner of MISO, the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator. Um, our economic regulators, FERC, uh, but for routing and siting of projects, we are um, our, our regulator is the Public Service Commission of Wisconsin uh, for those projects in, in Wisconsin. Uh, a little bit about the size of our system. We're primarily in Wisconsin and in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, we have uh, about 9,900 miles of transmission lines. We have 568 substations. And in terms of our customers, our customers are the utilities. So we have 17 network customers. However, it's important to note that one of those customers is WPPI, and they have quite a bit of customers. So overall, we have 72 utility customers. And in terms of the amount of end use customers or consumers who we actually serve, it's about 5 million. So last year, our system peak was about 12 and a half gigawatts. Wow. Yeah. So Bob, your role at ATC, um, I think your title is energy geek. Am I correct there? I Informally, yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I am the strategic projects director uh, for ATC. Um, what that entails uh, is that it's a really cool role. Um, I lead the development, evaluation, and execution of strategic and innovative initiatives, uh, such as adopting new types of technology and assets like the Wolfpack Area Storage Project and um, uh, new service offerings. So, so it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. 
So tell us more about this Wapaka project. Tell us about the impetus behind it and what you hope to accomplish with it. Sure. So let's first start out with um, the issue, right? So in it's it's really in central Wisconsin. It's in Wapaka and Portage counties, right in that uh, right in that area. And we have a situation where um, when we have a at certain levels of load after the first contingency or first problem on the system system. So for instance, if we lose a transmission line, um, we're required to sectionalize um, or or radialize uh, uh, with one single uh, feed uh, load, um, and that does put that load to some some level of risk. And however, what the what the battery will enable us to do, and we'll get into more details of what the battery is. What the battery will enable us to do is it'll enable us to keep the system networked longer. It gives us operational flexibility. And it also helps support the voltage in that area as well. So for instance, we don't have to start operating the battery until not just the first contingency, but we can wait until the second contingency. So again, it really gives us operational flexibility. In terms of the project itself, um, I can go over some of the, the project project details. It's a package of facilities, um, I would say anchored by, if you will, the, um, the battery. So it's a two and a half megawatt, five megawatt hour battery. So it's a two hour duration battery. It's a lithium ion battery. That's what it's, the design is right now. The battery would be at the Harrison North substation. We also include with it um, what is called shunt capacitors, which is a technology that helps um, address uh, uh, and support voltage. And then there's some other, other um, more traditional fixes like a bus upgrade. Uh, the, the project is $8.1 million. That's what the cost estimate is now. The, ins the expected in service date, right now the in service date, we're shooting for the end of next year. However, and we'll get into this a little bit later, the regulatory process, um, we're, we just got an order from the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, MISO did on some tariff revisions that are needed for this project. And uh, there's some compliance required, and it depends, Kristen, in terms of when um, FERC approves those, that compliance filing, when the MISO board could formally include it in the regional plan. So we're really, uh, we're hoping to, to uh, keep expediting the process so we could get it into service as soon as possible. So um, can you talk a little bit more about this FERC order that you mentioned and some of the implications it'll have on your project? Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the energy geek zone. I'm going to step a little farther back. We oh, weren't there yet, but now we're <laughs> I going wasn't there. Now okay, I'm going there. Now I'm going to go there, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So with storage, with energy storage, you know, this is a technology you know, that's been around for a while. Sure. Right? Pump storage hydro has been along, around for a, 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 a quite a while. However, we're getting to a point where different types of storage um, are becoming more like lithium-ion batteries. They're becoming more cost-effective, becoming more mature. And so 
there isn't there 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 hasn't really been up to recently policy around okay how do you use storage say in the market and how do you use storage for transmission so storage for transmission there was a a, a really landmark order order 841 uh that addressed um storage in the market that basically said hey um you should uh rtos and isos you should enable uh storage to participate in markets to the fullest degree that they're technically capable of doing. And we've seen compliance, uh, uh, all the RTOs comply and they're redesigning their markets to enable that. But for storage's transmission, that wasn't included in Order 841. So we're relying on a couple of, of pre uh, one precedent and one policy statement. The precedent came out in 2010. It's called Western Grid. It basically said it was a, a um, a request for declaratory order that asked uh, FERC permission to treat a set of batteries as transmission. And FERC said, you could because of how they're being used. And that was back in 2009, 2010. 2017 policy statement came out around clarifying that storage could be used as a transmission for transmission, generation, or both. And it talked about cost allocation and some other things, right? Uh, what the um, RTOs and ISOs, how, um, uh, what, what they would have to consider. But if you go to the individual RTO tariffs, now we uh, operate under the MISO tariff. Back in 2008, in January, when we approached MISO about you know, what the rules entailed, storage was just seen or reflected in the tariff as a resource. So in order for us to uh, use storage as a transmission asset, tariff revisions were needed. So starting in April of 2018, and I would say up to, up to now, and we talk a little more about the, 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 the FERC order, um, we've had a stakeholder process, a rather lengthy stakeholder process that, um, that was quite active. There were folks on either side of, of the issue Ultimately, MISO filed their tariff revisions that basically said, okay, if you have a, a, a storage asset um, uh, that you want to propose as a, a storage device that you want to propose as a transmission asset, it would have to go through the planning process like other transmission facilities would. Um, it did take into account some additional um, uh, issues or aspects of storage, like, for instance, there's a test that it doesn't interfere with um queued generation right generation that's in the interconnection queue and cost allocation was treated the same FERC ultimately there was a technical conference earlier this uh this summer uh early summer in may and then FERC just issued an order on the uh let me look here at on the 10th of august so um basically accepting miso's tariff revisions uh, there were some compliance items that MISO will have to take care of, uh, and th that compliance filing is due, I believe, the 25th of September. So, and that's going to enable us then, and other transmission owners, to start looking at um, batteries and other storage devices to address issues on, on the transmission system as transmission assets. So, 
I know you considered alternatives, wire alternatives and non-wire alternatives as you were coming up with this project. What, what are the cost differences as you considered these options? And that's a great segue into, um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll throw, throw out there now. I think it's a reasonable question to ask. Why is a transmission owner uh, thinking about storage? you know, other than interconnecting it, because I think commonly storage is viewed as a, a resource. Um, from our perspective, there are benefits of storage that could be used to address issues on the transmission system. For instance, uh, voltage support. I talked to you earlier about operational flexibility of the transmission system. So we're seeing cost of storage, particularly with lithium ion batteries, decline. Um, we're seeing that those devices, that technology becoming more mature. There's more batteries being installed. And yes, we're learning, and maybe we'll get into that later, we're learning a lot about these devices. And, and I believe industry is uh, addressing, addressing these concerns. And the other cool thing about storage is the flexibility that you could use storage for, say, uh, to, to address operational flexibility uh, or maybe to defer a transmission facility, but you could use that same device to offer um, possibly, depending on how it's designed, uh, market services, right? Like reactive power. So there's, so there's so much flexibility with storage that as a transmission owner, we want, uh, access to that technology to serve our customers. Now, going to the, the WAPACA project, our, the alternative we looked at, and this is a, a, a real good example. So the capital cost for the battery and the other facilities that would be part of the project, $8.1 million in capital costs. The alternative that we looked at was a rebuild of a, a 115 kV line in that area that we'd have to double circuit. The capital cost for that was 11.3 million. We even looked at, and ATC took a very conservative approach in cost estimating this project. We worked with uh, a consultant, uh, uh, communicated with vendors to really get as much information as we can because this is a, a relatively new technology for, right. uh, for utilities, right? So. Um, we wanted to leverage as much information and knowledge as we could. So we looked at a 40-year life of, of both the transmission line and the, the storage project. Um, and, and this was done in the MISO planning process. So for the, the, uh, uh, for the battery, it came out to be $12.4 million. And that is operations, maintenance, replacement of battery cells over time. Um, life cycle costs. Exactly. It's a pure life cycle cost. And then for the uh, transmission line, it was 13.1 million. Wow. Yeah. So there's a cost savings right there. The other thing that was beneficial about storage is let's call it speed to the ball, right? For us to build a transmission line, um, it takes a great deal of time. <laughs> Everyone who listens to your podcast knows that. <laughs> um, from routing and siting, uh, construction, 
you know, for instance, with this project that we're looking at, the alternative, we would have to double circle a line that went through a residential area near a high school. We do it, and there's, and it, it, it takes a, a, a certain amount of time, and there's challenges, right? With the battery, we already had space available in the uh, Harrison North substation. So we don't have to go through those routing and siting. We don't have those routing and siting challenges. So you think of needs, emergent needs, and the possibility that storage could be installed much quicker than say a more traditional transmission line. And that really, you know, again, that gives us, it gives a little more insight into why a transmission owner would want to uh, have this tool in its toolbox. The only other thing I'll say before, I, uh, I shut up is, uh, um, you know, storage isn't going to be the answer to everything. Sure. It's not, you know, we're not going to, you know, throw storage at every single problem we have on the system. However, like I said before, that's a technology that we want available to us, uh, uh, to be able to address issues for our customers. That's interesting. That's actually kind of where I was going with my next question is, I mean, what, what kind of data do you need from this project before you can apply it to other areas and how quickly do you think that could happen? Sure. Um, So I would say that as the industry adopts storage, there's learning, right? And, and, And we'll learn from this project and we already have, Yeah. right? So where the project is right now is it's, it's gone through, the MISO regional planning process, it's, it's ready to go. Once we get the, we don't believe there's any more evaluation that's needed. Once we get the approval of uh, uh, MISO's compliance filing from FERC, we're going to have to make a change, uh, a tariff change that's ATC specific as well from an accounting standpoint. Once those are approved, then we could start move forward and, and construct the project. But even up to this point, Kristen, we have learned a great deal and we'll continue to learn a great deal. So we're going to keep learning um, from our experience and from the, um, the experience of the, of the industry. And just as we do with our other technologies. Sure. So, and, and again, in terms of, I wouldn't necessarily view it as, we have to learn, reach a certain amount of learning or get a certain amount of data or something before we do the next one. From our perspective, now that we have the regulatory um, framework for using this, now it's a tool that we, we know we have. So the next time we come upon something that we think, oh, this might work, we'll apply it. But that learning is always going on. It does make sense. Um- I guess I was just curious, are there going to be, are we going to see other projects popping up now or? Yeah, no, that's is a good it question. Like this one is in service at the end of 2021 yeah. and then you start the whole process again on the next one in 2022, you know, yeah. I'm just curious how quickly you yeah. think this will start happening. Yeah, where will you see the next ATC battery, right? right. Uh, you know, not to be repetitive, but um, so right now there's not another project um, in the regional planning process. We don't have another 
uh, they call these uh, storage as transmission only asset projects or SATOA because in the utility industry, we have to have an acronym for everything. Yes. <laughs> and we have an acronym for this one too. So uh, the ATC doesn't have another SATOA project in the planning process at this point. However, um, as issues emerge, um, either as you know, things pop up or uh, issues pop up or in our long range planning process, if we see uh, uh, something that uh, would potentially, uh, this would be a good solution for, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll evaluate it as we do with all the other technologies that we use. It's, it, and again, this, uh, um, hopefully this doesn't come across as too trite, but from our perspective, we view it this way. Um, this is a, this is another tool that we have and it's, it's, uh, does some pretty cool stuff. So is the company looking at connecting any large scale storage assets to the grid on the customer side? And what considerations would you have when the storage is on the customer side? Yeah. So right now to level set, um, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to make this distinction between, and, and I think you did a great job of doing it, right? So we have transmission facilities. Those are the facilities that we, that are part of the bulk electric system that we operate as ATC, um, that we use to provide transmission service. And the Wapaka Area Storage Project will be part of that transmission system. Then there's the, the other aspect of, quote unquote, you know, the grid and the resources that are connected to it. Um, right now, there are zero storage pro storage devices connected to ATC system. Now, I, I believe there are distribution level storage assets, but th that's at distribution level. Um, so right now, there are zero storage projects connected to ATC. Um, as I mentioned before, Order 841 came out, I think it was a couple of years ago. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that compliance is, is being finalized and that opens the markets to storage devices. And so now, Kristen, what you see is we've got seven projects from various developers that are in the MISO interconnection process tar you know, um, uh, that would be located on our system. Um, I've got a, a couple stats here that you might be interested in. So we've got seven projects. Great. Uh, and I just looked at the, uh, our queue information this morning. So this is hot off the nice. press. Um, you've got uh, for a total of 314 megawatts. That's a yes. lot. Right. And so, and, and the largest of those projects, you have uh, two out there that uh, are 75 megawatts each. Wow. So that's pretty, that's sizable. Um, and so location wise, where are we looking at here? Um, I could say pretty much throughout, throughout, uh, Wisconsin. Okay. Um, I, I, um, I hesitate to say where specifically are they. However, um, some of that, that information is publicly available on, on MISO's website for the interconnection queue, but they're, they're, there's a, a, a number of them in the South, but there, there's some throughout the, throughout the state. What consideration do you have as you look at the queue and you think of those projects? What, what comes to your mind? Are there special steps you would need to take or um, different ways you look at planning around them? 
in general, we would evaluate um, a, a, a storage device as we would other generators. Um, we apply NERC standards, NERC reliability standards. We follow our tariff and we also follow, we have interconnection uh, guidelines, company specific energy or, or interconnection guidelines. Um, and there are some specific things I believe that are related to inverter, inverter based technologies. Um, I don't have more details beyond that, but in general, these are viewed just like other um, resources that are connected to the system. Um, and with some, you know, specific nuances for the inverter-based technology. Bob, I have one uh, question here I just want to ask as an aside. Does that, Fire away. Does that pretty much cover everything you wanted to talk about? Can we go into the last question about all the power? Or were, was there anything else you think I should ask? You know, one other thing that I would throw out there, and, and this is maybe a, a parting shot uh, before we get into all the power uh, <laughs> is that um, our ultimate vision, and, and this goes back to um, the flexibility of, of storage, that you could use it for multiple things. Our ultimate vision, um, Kristen, is that, okay, um, so think of this in, in, in chunks. <laughs> of effort. <laughs> the first chunk of effort was get the regulatory framework to be able to use storage as a transmission asset. And we've had a, a, um, a really robust, um, a thorough discussion in MISO about how do you do that. And I'll tell you what, there's other, art, there's other parts of the country now that are considering this. PJM has a stakeholder process that they started. SPP has a stakeholder process that it started. So I believe this is, uh, the Midwest was a leader here, I believe, um, on getting these rules in its tariff or the mid-continent area. So, you know, you've got, you've got the rules in place for storage as transmission. The next chunk of effort is how do you use those storage as transmission devices? Could you possibly use them to provide market services? And why we think that's really important, and again, that's our vision, um, is because we want to be able to use our assets for our customers to their fullest extent, right? If this device is capable of also providing market service, but its priority or primary use would be for uh, providing transmission service, but if we could use it to some degree to provide market service and use that revenue to offset the cost of these assets, that's gonna ultimately benefit our customer. That's what we're pushing for. So it's the first chunk was get storage recognized as a transmission asset. The next chunk is let's use these to their fullest extent, use them in the market, as well as for transmission service. We know that's a long road ahead. We're willing to, willing to walk it and, uh, um, because we ultimately think that'll, that'll benefit, our, benefit our customer. Wonderful, thank you. Okay, now to everyone's favorite question. If you had all the power in the energy industry for a day, 
what would you do with it? Okay, so. Um, it seems like you were thinking about this. Ahead of time. I, I've been thinking about this <laughs> because I wish it would. I, um, I'm not the most patient person in the world. So <laughs> I can identify with that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there has been a lot of work over time and we're working on it now for um, creating long duration storage. Now I mentioned earlier in our conversation that the Wapaka project is a, it's a two hour solution. For a transmission owner and looking at the issues we face, it would be really great if we had longer duration and it was cost effective. Now, for instance, um, and, and, that, and that wasn't uh, um, reliant on some geographical uh, feature like, and what I mean by that is, um, uh, pump storage hydro has reservoirs and a reservoir and uh, um, elevation, right? It needs a big, a lot of land, right? To be able to do that, a lot of water. Um, you also have compressed air storage that, that you need um, uh, salt deposits. Uh, we don't have those here <laughs> in the Midwest. Um, so if we could get a, a long duration battery um, and there's work on it right now. Um, they're called um, flow batteries. And, and they're early on in their um, development. But if I had all the power in the world, I'd make it happen today. <laughs> because, uh, and no offense to DOE and all the, all the manufacturers working right. on it, but I would, if I could snap my fingers and it would happen now, yeah. I would do that because I think that would be um, – uh, a real helpful, right. uh, really, really helpful for our, for our purposes. So that would be what I'd go for. For impatient people like us, how long do you think <laughs> we'll have to wait? Um, I would say it, and this is just ballparking it right now. You've got vendors out there that are, that have been working on this issue for quite a while. Um, you've got some projects that are sort of in the beta test. I'd say it's going to be a, a maybe another three to five years um, before they really get, get commercial. But I think there's a lot of focus on it, Kristen, because um, I think it would provide a lot of value and, and the industry sees it and those, uh, the manufacturers see it too. Great, well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Bob. It was great talking to you. Oh yeah, oh, this is a lot of fun. Thanks a lot and thanks a lot for what you and uh, uh, Customers First uh, do. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much to Tom Content and Bob McKee for those interviews. And thank you to all of our listeners. Please remember to subscribe to The Electric Wire wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Twitter at The Electric Wire. We'll be back in a couple weeks with a new episode. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>